Oh my goodness, happy podcasting day. I am super, super excited, as always, to be here. This is Rachel Vaughn. This is A Good Girl's Guide 2 right here on Anchor. Uh, and uh, I am just so excited that you are here. Hopefully, you're having a fantastic week. If not, let's turn that around for sure, for sure. I am excited because I want to have a interesting conversation today. Um, I mean, don't I every week? But anyhow, if you are new, thank you, thank you so much for being here and welcome. Uh, if you are loving what you get in terms of content through this free platform, make sure that you favorite the podcast. I can see when people do that which is just so cool uh and let me know i've had a lot of people reach out to me say that they've been listening um that when you can't fall asleep or you're folding laundry that's fantastic screenshot it and put it in your story don't forget that maybe you're not ready just to personally recommend me you don't know who's out there who's trying to maybe learn to work on themselves they will be inspired by seeing you do your growth and development uh so plug it away and give me give me a shout out so i can give you some love on the social media platform so don't forget let's do a free recap a free recap let's do a recap of all the free ways that you can gain content and and we'll get into it today. So, yep, every week almost, uh, that'll be true of all this content that I'm about to say, you can get a download from this Anchor podcast on the Book of Face. You can find me at A Good Girl's Guide 2 as well as on Instagram and TikTok. Same handle, and that's my Gmail account, A Good Girl's Guide 2 at Gmail. Easiest way to get a hold of me is through that Gmail account or through Facebook Messenger. And don't forget that we got a private group, 18 years or older and feminine energy. We're doing lots of sexual wellness and intimacy building in summer, 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 summer time is a, a, upon us, ladies and gents, and everything in between. Uh, I ooh, love the group. Oh my gosh, I just threw my phone. Oh my gosh, are you still with me? Allison, did that come through your speech? Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyhow, uh, phone totally fell on my lap. Uh, summer, summertime is just one of my favorite seasons and there's a lot of really great stuff happening uh, over there in the group. So make sure to get an invite if you need one. Uh, have to be invited. You cannot find that group. And if you are loving all of that stuff, that is free ways to connect with me all the time. If you would like some one-to-oneness, if you want to pick my brain, if you want to ask me some questions, if you'd like to uh, be guided down the path that I have already traveled through, then you want to reach out to me because you can get in touch to do empowerment class via Zoom so you don't even have to wear pants if you don't want to or we can do some one-to-one sessions. I have had some amazing women sign up recently to do these sessions together and it has just been phenomenal. Validation from both sides so make sure to reach out to me and we can get that set up for you as well. So Today, the conversation I want to talk about uh, was something that I actually started last night in my VIP page in the terms of the orgasm gap, okay? So this is, um, I I have some notes, but we'll see how far we can get with this. Uh, What's really important about it is that, like, I really just want to have a conversation. That's exactly what I did last night. It wasn't as formal as I probably would have liked the quote-unquote presentation to be, but this is me coming from a a curious human's perspective. It's not necessarily just an intimacy coach or somebody who's been doing this type of thing for almost a decade. It is somebody who's got questions and somebody who is learning right along with you. So I hope that we can have a really great conversation about that and uh, go go tap into the Facebook live if you want to, but let's do some discussions. Okay. So the orgasm gap, this conversation started because it there's been a massive change in my demo recently. So if you um, are unfamiliar, I do the in-home party scene through Pure Romance, doing in-home parties, uh, empower and educate and entertain. That's how I got into the entrepreneurship and I'm shifting into the coaching thing as a more full-time thing. I love what I do. I love to party. It's so much fun. Um, It's access to women that I wouldn't get otherwise anyhow. So um, it's, it's just so amazing. But Pure Romance was the one that gave me the stat. It was something I put up in the VIP page a couple months ago and it has this, gradient scale about about, uh, basically completion of orgasms during whatever, if you call it sexual intercourse or just an intimate time or whatever. And at the high end of it for completion rate was straight men at like 97%. And then and everything in between 
it goes from gay men to bisexual men to lesbian women and so on and so forth. Uh, it has all of these stats about completion of orgasm rate. And gay men come straight in second. You go from homo, um, sorry, you go from heterosexual men to 97% and then homosexual men was like 96%. And then so was bisexual men. And then lesbian women was like 96%. So, or 93, as high 90s is all I know. All of these numbers, all of these classifications, all of these sexualities have high 90s, um, if not low 90s, okay? And then at the very bottom of the rung is heterosexual women. And heterosexual women reported 67% of the time reaching orgasm during an intimate session with somebody, okay? So you can clearly hear, because you can't see it, obviously, go to the group if you want to, of course, to see the actual image, that there's a discrepancy between these two classes of people who are the ones intersecting with each other, meaning like gay men are obviously with gay men. So maybe that number makes sense. Okay. And lesbian women are with lesbian women. But then in this particular segment, you are pulling two different species of human beings. You're pulling a man and a woman respectively. Right. And there's this huge gap. Uh, so this has actually prompted me to start talking about this in my demo. Like I refer to this and ironically, um, I get into this conversation when I start to talk about backdoor play and how men tend to be adverse to it because they associate the fact that they think that backdoor play means that you're gay. Man, by the way, I just want to pat myself on the back, y'all, because we're five minutes in and we're already into content. Generally, I'm still doing an introduction or I'm still a fly on the wall. So good for me. All right. So the reason this is important is because we've been writing a script since the day we were born. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, I'm going to remind you of this, but you already know. Homosexual men have been around a lot longer than we've ever realized or known about. It's been also recorded in history, but in our civilization, in our culture, we became more aware of it in the late 80s. Okay, gay men have been around longer than that, but we, whether you were open to it or not, you could not turn away from the fact that there was lots and lots and lots of gay men who were dying from the AIDS pandemic at that time. So you could not not have a conversation about it. So gay men became this forefront and something that we became aware of. Now, why in the world would their orgasm completion rate be so high if straight men's was high, but straight women's was not? Well, in my opinion, and I think that this is probably validated in lots of other sources, is that for the longest time, heterosexual people have had a script. And so even though gay men and lesbian women, they've all existed, they didn't have anything to model their relationships off of the way that straight people have. It's been straight culture from the dawn of time in our civilization, in this particular civilization. So we've always had something to model ourselves after, whether it was movies, music, TV shows, books. So all the like, whether it started in books and then got into silent movies and then to real movies and then to whatever, okay? All of these mediums were showing us ways that we showed up as straight couples, okay? Whether you were straight or not, that's all that you watched. And I like to say this because at my parties, I talk about the fact that even for women, it doesn't matter if this was an accurate view or not, it's how we devoured our information in terms of how we showed up as women. And that's important because even if that was like Skinamax at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday that you saw people bumping uglies and that's what you thought that sex was about, that's what you thought sex was about. And that's important because when we draw upon our our experiences, I guess, or how we got to the ways we think about sex, it's so important because it leads us to here today. And that's why, that's why there was a gap in my opinion is because men got what they needed or wanted in terms of quote unquote completion of orgasm because all it really was was 
I mean, I, I can't speak, I guess, I don't have a penis, but it's pretty simplistic in terms of how to achieve an orgasm, right? When it came to women, bodies are more complex. They take more time to warm up and so on and so forth. But we showed up with this idea that that's what we thought we had to be, that we were the vessels to complete that transaction for men, um, a wifely duty. Like, you're familiar with all this stuff, so that's why the gap exists. That's why lesbian women who became a forefront of our known consciousness was not till the 90s even though women had been gay for a long time um it was movies and music that we started to become aware of lesbianism and it was the same facet that they did not have a script prior to becoming mainstream culture right so gay men got together in the shadows and clubs and porns and things like that and said this feels good i like when you touch my penis let me touch your penis oh that feels good let's go tell all of our friends about it and then we'll discover how we really enjoy our pleasure lesbian women were the same they don't scissor but they discovered well one I, i'm sure part of it of course does have to do with the fact that you own these body parts potentially so you probably know what to do with them a little bit more um innately but it doesn't change the fact that <sighs> hear my heart when i say this because i know you know that i'm an ally but male bodies or bodies with a penis and female bodies or uh, bodies with a vulva, they were put on this earth to be the things and vessels that procreated, quote unquote, right? Like we know there's other options and things that we could do now, but that's what they were here to do. So the fact that the connection to pleasure of the two straight men and straight women does not add up was just baffling to me. Not really baffling, not surprising, only because this is what I've been conditioned to know. Most women know this. Like, it's not much of a surprise when we see the statistic, actually. We're pretty aware. We're pretty aware of it. But the discrepancy in it is the thing that's like, why? Why? So I, I needed to do a little digging to figure out why isn't this working? Why is it that naturally, quote unquote, okay, as much as you want to go into that conversation, why is it that the pleasure disconnect between men and women is there? Well, I kind of have a theory about it and I kind of want to dig into it a little bit. I'm going to throw in some stuff that I've learned through personal development and anatomy and bodies and emotions and things like that. And then I actually have a full-blown conspiracy theory that I want to, I want to throw it out there and I want to see where we go with it. Okay. All right. So, um, here's what I know to be true. Okay. From, from not having a penis and knowing this, it's, it's kind of crazy cool but it is absolutely through my job and experience and having conversations with other people it's from being with a partner that has a penis and being able to have open and honest conversations this conversation is going to be as factual as I can make it without any boundaries you know being stepped upon or any of that regard because ultimately none of that really matters in this conversation as far as I know but I'm gonna do my best okay so partners with a penis tend to be the most sensitive around the head and the reason this is conversation is important is because I can't vouch for you, but as a woman in my 30s and um, living in the United States, I've only in person ever seen circumcised penises. Why is that important? Because they are quite a bit different when they're flaccid, the way that they look. So when your partner, if your partner has a penis and they're not erect, they're going to be the most visibly different. And you can Google image this. And I just, I caution you, of course, you want to be careful on what you're actually searching for but definitely take a peek at it if you want to there's no shame in being curious and in my opinion you're only empowering yourself to understand both your body and your partner's body and your pleasure more by understanding this and um that's it that's all i'm gonna say about that part so when two penises are erect whether they're circumcised or not they're going to look much more similar and this conversation that we're having i think is difficult for me to kind of tread into because i'm going to say some things that almost might borderline feel gross but there's really no reason for them to because all i'm talking about right now is anatomy i'm not talking about sex and i'm not talking about um pleasure or any of that regard and the reason this is important is because this is actually where i draw on my vet tech 
uh, experience, I guess I would say. Um, being in vet tech school, I was exposed to several species, dogs, cats, goats, cows, horses, you name birds. We had iguanas, we had snakes. We And, and this was required, of course, we had to get to know these animals and rub, run labs and anatomy and physiology and so on and so forth. As far as I know, any mammal that I was exposed to has a sheath to their penis, okay? I mean, you you know that, dogs, okay? Dogs are like that. That's the most probably the most accessible animal that you could probably have access to. Accessible animal you have access to is what I was going to say. The most visible, like, awareness I can probably bring to this on the table, though, would be a horse, okay? Because, like, dogs have penises and sheaths that you rarely see. They do come out, but only from time to time. A horse, for example, anybody who's ever been around a horse that's breeding or it's breeding season knows this to be true, that um, horses' penises come out of their sheath quite a bit. And so whether this makes you feel uncomfortable or not, I just need you to understand that naturally every mammal species has a protected penis. That's what that's for. It's protection because it's the most sensitive organ that's going to procreate the species. So it's very normal for a partner with a penis or a person with a penis to have a sheath over it. So this would be an uncircumcised penis. Okay. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on conversations about whether or not I think you should or should not circumcise your children. Um, because both of, well, one's not my biological son, of course, but both of our children are circumcised. Uh, but I was also a very young mother and that was just Western culture at that time so I was very naive to understanding or knowing and just kind of going with the flow of that everybody I knew was um so I didn't really question it and knowing what I know now I will luckily for the two of us we had a baby girl so we didn't even really have to have that conversation but were we having a conversation about whether or not we would circumcise her clitoris Mm, nope we sure weren't and if that gave you pangs in your vulva it probably should because it's actually not different In my opinion, by the way, I'm not going to go into, like I said, I'm not on a pedestal, but if we think about the fact that bodies are born certain ways, they're naturally born, are we not? Like, first of all, let's separate bodies are bodies, okay? So your skin cells decided to collect in a certain way in utero, and then you grew, and that was it, all right? This is not a conversation about, you know, whose rights are deserving or not, and you wouldn't be listening to me if that was a conversation you thought we needed to be having anyway. Um, You know that I'm a little bit more open than that. But that's just important so you don't feel any certain way about your body. Your breasts are a certain size because they are. Your asses, your hips are, your noses, your eyes are, your feet are, your hands are, your fingers are. Everything is a certain size because that's the way that your body decided to collect as a cell. And yes, there are some genetics involved in that, but that's all that it is. It's just showing up the way that it is. And this is important. I just say that because like we end up with you know, beautiful human beings who are born with both female and male reproductive organs, um, inside, outside, both or not. So everybody is who they are, right? But when we are the most quote unquote natural, when we are born partners with penis and partners with vulvas, this is the most natural we're supposed to be. So I watched this really great video um, from a doctor in Italy and the company's called Foragen. Um, I just encourage for you to go check it out for your own, your own viewing and understanding. It's basically like this doctor in Italy who is coming up with restorative medicine to basically help uh, partners with penises become fully intact again. So um, it's like a sheath, basically. I was talking about my friend about it. So basically think about like growing an ear on a, a mouse. It'd be fairly similar, I would suspect. I didn't look too much into it, but they are accepting clinical study participants if you are interested, okay? But the reason I say that is because what he said was like, when babies are born, we tend to think about penises for babies. Like, it's unclean, it's unhygienic, we want to make sure that this is, you know, as safe as it can be, and quote unquote, that logically makes sense. But penis isn't made for a baby, Penis is made for reproduction upon 
puberty and the proper time and so on and so forth, right? That's when the penis becomes more of an integral part of the reproductive system for a human. So we can't think about that in terms of a baby penis foreskin being removed and so on and so forth. You need to really think about it from an adult perspective. And that that is true because when I talked about that conversation about we wouldn't circumcise women's clitoris, well, that does happen. Female genital mutil- genital mutilation for both sexes is common all over the place, but it's it's used as a hindrance for women in third world countries and not even just third world countries. It's happening more in the United States than it's ever had, had has before because we have immigrant families who are settling in here and bringing their practices. So this is a conversation we should have at a different time. But when I say that to you, oh well, we would we we shouldn't talk about uh, considering you know um, mutilation of a female clitoris. You would say, yeah, like why would we do that? So why are we having why why are we not having as more open conversations about circumcision, and why are we not logically just applying the conversation to it? And the reason it's it's not bugging me, and I'm not judging anybody because again, my son, my husband, ever like everybody I know, every partner I've ever been with, it's incredibly common in the United States. It's incredibly common. However, the reason this is so important is because we already know that the penis is the most sensitive at the tip of the penis. I mean, you might not know that, by the way, um, and that was kind of asinine for me to make that assumption. But if you've never been with a partner with a penis or you never had a conversation with your partner, you might not know what the most pleasure par- pleasurable parts of their body are. But I tend to find uh, that that is reported back unanimously that that tends to be the most sensitive part of the penis for a partner. And although partners may enjoy other areas of play and they may enjoy, like, say, let's Deep, let's say deep throating, deep throating, especially during oral, or I don't know what else you would deep throat, but oral, that tends to be more of a visual representation, especially because it's something that they may have viewed in a pornography. Uh, when it comes to actual senses and pleasure and nerve endings, deep throating doesn't really do as much. So when we talk about the fact that now we're understanding, or now we can kind of get to this common ground that the most sensitive part of the penis is that first one to three inches, then we're cutting that off for, for people when they're born. Okay. Now, I re I did some research and the thing that's frustrating about this conversation between intact versus being cut is that it all says it's like oh well there's no study that says that it'll actually desensitize anybody there's no study out there that says that it could not increase the chances of STIs but there's also no studies that reverse any of that either so basically all of this data that we have is inconclusive about whether it affects people um, on a nerve ending level whether it's more hygienic or not hygienic and this point that I brought up on my live last night was that how can we theoretically really even have that conversation I as far I mean I've never met a grown man I know that there are men out there that have had I should say uh, grown partners with penis or people with penises um, that have had circumcisions done later in life and that might be a reconstructive surgery it might be personal I've never met anybody who personally chose to do it for any other reason than medical and I don't even know that I've met anybody who's done it for a medical reason to be frank but do we really have a huge genre of people to choose from or talk to who are actively saying yes I could give you my experience as a naturally occurring penis in this world and then go electively have the surgery to be circumcised in my 20s 30s 40s whatever and then I'll be able to report back to you the differences I notice is in the nuances of missing this foreskin we don't really have that as far as I know so of course all of the data is going to be inconclusive because you're comparing two completely different aspects of people who will never be able to experience it it's like saying is childbirth more painful than being kicked in the nuts how will you ever know? You'll never have both sides of the se- the spectrum. And again, I could be wrong. Somebody might be apt- opting to have this conversation. But as far as I'm concerned, or far as I've been exposed to, I, you can't compare. So all of this conversation about, oh, well, it's more hygienic. Well, we don't really know that. 
oh, well, it doesn't really decrease your sensitivity. Well, how would you know that? You're not having sex with your penis before circumcision and then with after. So there isn't a, a definitive answer to this. So it definitely comes down to a very personal decision. But ultimately, you're changing something permanently about somebody's body before they have the consent to do so. So if I had to do things over again, if I was to have another baby boy, if I was to have my children again, it would definitely be something I would research more and it would not be just as an easy peasy decision, I think. And the reason I say this is y'all because let's talk about female bodies for a little bit. Partners with vulvas, partners with vaginas, if you were born with these things, okay? So over time, okay, so friendly reminder, human species in general, we're babies, okay? We have not been on planet Earth for very long. I think you know that, but just a gentle reminder. And the reason that's so important is that even as a species that we have been conscious on this planet for quite a while, we were barbaric for a very long time. And we only have recently started to become more civilized as a human. And we're still very upset about the fact that we were so gross before. Um, but the more important aspect of that is that when it comes to knowing about our bodies, it, we're so new. When it comes to bodies in general, that's new science. But then when it comes to sexuality and sexual health and reproductive, that's even smaller science and new to who we are. And then when you talk about female reproductive health, it's even a smaller niche on the, I don't know, the education, whatever, scale, okay? That's so important for us to understand because... The stuff that I taught at parties nine years ago, almost nine years ago, some of it's irrelevant. Some of it doesn't even make any sense anymore. And stuff that I teach today at my parties or through my VIP page or through this platform will be completely irrelevant months from now. And that's so important because it's it's not only it's not only relief for us to be able to like decide how we want to be and who we show up as and discovering our sexuality, but it's just important because it needs to let us off the hook because we didn't really know any better. Both sides of the fence, both men, women, everything in between, we didn't know any better. But now we're in this position that we can really get on a pedestal and educate and talk about how important these things are because pleasure is your God-given birthright. And I think that there's a missing link between it and everything else. Okay. So the reason I say that is because here's what we know to be true. We used to talk about, first of all, it used to be a running joke that the clitoris was elusive. It used to be a running joke that the, the G spot wasn't a thing, right? It, this is, you know, conversation in our culture that comes, that boils down to female pleasure and the lack thereof. So this orgasm gap is not a surprise because we don't know women's bodies. It's too complex. If you're talking about saying, if, if mainstream media and science is saying that the body is too complex for us to figure out through the woman's body, then what in God's green earth makes women necessarily feel empowered to get that knowledge or to feel that ability to receive pleasure? So, you know, hey, thanks. Thank God for pure romance. Thank God for, you know, platforms, um, you know, of access and opportunity for people to, to be able to talk about these things. Because if we weren't in an environment where I had a platform where I could be discussing these types of conversations with women, I don't know that I would be asking these questions. I don't know that I would be. But... We are, and that's what's most important. So the reason I say that is because it used to be elusive to have a clitoris. The female pleasure in general used to be, like, there's still, by the way, okay, I just found this on TikTok. There are still podcasts out there, um, I just saw this, where there was three men having conversations about women, and one of them adamantly said, I believe that women fake orgasms, they're not even real. Not that they fake them, but they're not real. This is where we are in 2021. This is, a, this is a conversation people are saying. So there is a lot of work to be done, but the clitoris is real. The G-spot is real. Female pleasure is real. And it's so important that I think that people are selling themselves short in their experiences, especially men, if they don't understand the power that they get in by tapping into this. So here's what I was going to say. 
clitoris, outside portion of the body. 70% of vulva owners need to have external stimulation to have an orgasm. We're going to come back to that statistics. It's really important. So external stimulation seems to be really important, right? And now what we're starting to understand is that that clitoris, that thing that is on the outside of your body, actually is more of a U shape on the inside. So think of a wishbone, basically. It looks like a wishbone on the inside of your body. Those clitoral legs, as they describe them, actually kind of envelop right there behind those labial lips, uh, so that's important. Not only is it important for blood flow, but it's important for pleasure points. It's important for foreplay. But it's it's imperative to understanding this because we've been teaching for a while that the first one to three inches of the vaginal walls is actually the most nerve-rich endings for people. So deep penetration, again, you might see that in a porn. Your partner might really enjoy it if they have a penis. But it's not really about pleasure. It doesn't really do as much for you. It might be fun and exhilarating, but when it comes to lighting your nerve endings on fire, it's that first one to three inches. And what I've been teaching at my parties recently is talking about using your vibration outside your vaginal opening because that still increases blood flow. Increasing blood flow makes those nerve endings more sensitive. So women are really getting hip to starting to discover their bodies and being able to detach from it feeling gross and shameful and whatever, whatever. Uh, but why this is powerful is because the first step was just like learning that your body had pleasure points. And the second step was really giving you permission to discover those. The third step was like going beyond what you think you basically know about stimulation, which is friction externally. That's a lot of what women end up discovering, whether it's through body grinding or brushing up against a pillow in bed or something like that, something that you discover that it feels good, right? So that's super important because when we start to learn that the first one to three inches of the vaginal wall is the most nerve-rich ending, well, that's interesting. Like, why do you suppose that could be? Why would that be? Uh, why does it feel good for penetration? And some people, it doesn't feel good, but what I'm teaching at my parties, I know I've said that three times, but um, is the fact that when you're new to using bedroom accessories, as I talked about, using the vaginal, um, I'm sorry, using your bedroom accessory around your vaginal opening with a vibration on, it still simulates foreplay because the foreplay, uh, blood flow increases, it makes you more sensitive. Um, what I have been teaching for a while now that I learned through Pure Romance is that the vagina goes through a completely normal process during foreplay and arousal. It's called tensing. So your vagina will start at a certain degree of circumference and then it will actually start to open to prepare for penetration. And that's why that foreplay is detrimental to the female body because the blood flowing to the right areas allows for that natural opening to happen so that when penetration happens, it's not forceful, it's not painful, it's lubricated, and it feels really good. That's why foreplay is so important. So we get to this conversation and it's funny because I've been preaching this for a while and I know that it's working, meaning that I know that women are taking it in. I know that conversations are happening. I know that experiences are, are going through because more women are trying vibrators. More women are learning about how to self-explore. More women are acting to own their sexuality and their pleasure. And this is an important conversation because for years women assumed foreplay isn't necessary you know because partners with a penis only needed 10 seconds for foreplay we assume that that's all we needed as well so bam bam done like it's, it's no wonder sex hasn't been as enjoyable for most women it's no wonder that a lot of women have lower sex drives it's no wonder that there isn't a connection because it was very transactional before so now that we understand what we know about bodies and the female side of it it makes sense that your vagina would go through a process that's called tenting your vagina naturally opens to prepare for the birth of a baby it goes through contraction so why wouldn't it expand to begin the process of having a baby or creating a baby even if that's not your intention so the beautiful body naturally knows what it's supposed to be doing what it's meant to be doing and we have been so disoriented and detached from that for so long 
that this is what's really, in my opinion, going to kind of close that orgasm gap. When we can emotionally detach from sex for a moment and really physiologically get into the root of why our bodies do what they do, how they work, how they work congruently, how they complement one another, then we're going to close that 97% gap for men and 67% for hetero women. We are. And so here's what I want to kind of bring together full circle, right? So when we're having this conversation about removing foreskin around the penis, the first one to three inches, although men partners with a penis still tend to be incredibly sensitive in that area, they might be more sensitive if they were left intact. And the reason I bring this conversation together is because this most recent book I read, it's called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. I highly freaking recommend it. It talks about everything from menopause to puberty to breast tissue to cancer to PCOS to all these things that, you know, that you probably don't know about your body as a woman and uh, conversations that we should be having with our young women as well as children as we're growing up, preparing ourselves for this innate change that happens. And um, the only excerpt I even want to share with you, go read the effing book yourself, is that she only briefly mentions the fact that there is so many men, well, only really in the United States, because globally speaking, most men are intact. In Europe, in South America, it is very standard practice for babies to be left intact when they are born. So this is definitely more of a culture thing that we are dealing with and we have to reteach ourselves and learn about but um she only briefly mentions that she talks about the fact that 70 percent of partners with vulvas need to have external stimulation for that clitoral she mentions the fact that this is because most men in the united states are not circumcised something that's all she said by the way that was all she said and it drove me insane it made me go batch crazy that I am on this rabbit hole. That was all she said was that if men were more circumcised, pleasure would make more sense or something to that effect. And I was like, why? Why? What is it? What is it that in a circumcised man, it detracts from pleasure connecting these two natural bodies? Again, it doesn't matter what your sexuality is. You have, you need a partner with an ovary and you need a partner with penis and, you know, um, and testes to be able to procreate. So what are we missing? And so obviously I can't say I've never been with an uncircumcised man. I can't say whether or not the pleasure is bigger or better or whatever. I would really appreciate some feedback if you have been so we can kind of continue this conversation. But um, if the first one to three inches of a penis are the most sensitive and the first one to three inches of the vaginal wall are the most sensitive and supposedly more pleasure can be received if you're having sex with a partner who is uncircumcised, not circumcised. Wow. That just starts to make a little bit more sense. And here's why. Maybe maybe it's not fully blowing your mind yet, but let me, I'm going to put a pin in that and come back to this for a second. All right. So um, as an ally, as somebody who is very interested in LGBTQ um, sexuality, um, showing up, identity, all that stuff, uh, I had a very good friend once who was transgender. They we're not really friends anymore. We're not friends. I just want to openly say that. But it has nothing to do, it's a personal decision on his actions of who he is as a person now. Um, so was born female, transitioned to male. Okay. And was considering having bottom surgery. Had had breasts removed, top surgery was done, was considering bottom surgery. So I was just curious. And, um, you know very intrigued went to google tried to find out how how does that happen how do you how do you end up formulating a vulva vagina cervix all of these things into a penis and it astonished me because if you are not familiar with it i very much encourage you to empower yourself to get to know it a little bit better however uh, a person who is born female or assigned female at birth will start to take hormones like testosterone that will obviously start to jumpstart the process of going through puberty, basically. And what will begin to happen is that the tip of the clitoris will start to extend outside the body with those male hormones. And so it's theoretically becoming an elongated penis, which is just crazy cool to me. 
it's crazy cool because what it really validates is that our bodies are so unbelievably similar that we just don't realize it. I don't really know what the correlation is. Is that so to me, clitoris is penis. All right. I don't know if testicles are labial lips, even though, you know, ovaries are housed inside our bodies, but um, semen is in testicles, which is outside the body. So I don't really know what that correlation is. But G-spot and prostate are something I want to talk about, because if you've been to a party where I've educated how to stimulate G-spot, how to locate it, and then in the same exact demo, I talk about how to stimulate prostate stimulation for a a partner who has one. Potentially, they might be ready for their um, internal, but most people aren't. So we talk a lot about externally stimulating it. But if your G-spot is on the front part of your pelvic wall as somebody who um, recognizes as female or identifies as female, and a prostate is actually on the front part of a a wall as well, it's just in the rectum, it's just farther back, it's farther away from the penis, which is the clitoris for us. Like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I'm making sense or not, but we're so unbelievably close to each other in terms of anatomy. It's just unfortunate friggin' real. It's just crazy real. All right. So that that's important because if we really start to identify that pleasure points, right? So that if, if, if the clitoris is just a pushed in penis or a penis is just an elongated uh, clitoris, it makes sense that these two areas have nerve endings in the same pleasure points. The first one to three inches of a penis and all over in the clitoris with 10,000 nerve endings. Oh my gosh, it just, it's crazy cool. It, we're just so similar. We're so similar. So all I'm really kind of getting to is that the orgasm gap is, it's, it's greater than we really give it credit for. Yes, women are, we're distracted. We, we think we have to do it all. We have low libido. Um, but I also think that it's putting a lot on our shoulders. It's putting a lot on our shoulders that there's a disconnect in pleasure because of us when it's not necessarily that. If there's quite literally a disconnect in the female, or not the female, I'm sorry. There's quite literally a disconnect in our bodies touching each other, then we're already starting this at an uphill battle. Okay. So the reason I wanted to talk about that is because maybe you're in a situation where you're with a partner who is um, circumcised. So what are you going to do about it or how are you going to fix this? Well, I think that realistically, the biggest thing is that we just have to be open have to be really, really open, really, really open and really, really open. Because if our partner is missing a part of their body, we're not necessarily going to go to Italy and have them go through the surgery. So we're just really going to have to get creative with which feels best for us. And so why I want to share this with you is because I still believe that we can really incorporate a lot of pleasure into our lives if we understand these pleasures. Point. So saying what we've already said, we've detached the emotion side. We got really physical in understanding our anatomy, right? Now, when it comes to s- stimulation for females, I think it's really easy for penises, right? It's just friction back and forth, fra- slower and faster and slower and faster. And uh, female bodies tend to be a little bit more complex. When it comes to trying to integrate as much pleasure as possible for the two of you at the same time, we're going to talk about penetrative sex for, for this particular instance, right? Um, Woman on top, in my opinion, is the best thing that you can do. Doggy style is okay, but woman on top because you have so much control of depth and penetration. And woman on top, if you're envisioning this, um, I'm going to paint you a picture of probably what it looks like and then what you want it to look like. So more than likely, either your partner's completely laying down in bed and you're straddling them with your knees um, around their waist. That's probably pretty typical. But if you're trying to do this from a pleasure perspective, you're going to want to shift up this, 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 um, this scenario for a second, okay? So what you want your partner to do is you want them to actually sit upright in bed as much as they can. As much as physically possible, as much as your bodies will allow, have them sit upright in bed. And if they can't, for whatever reason, if your bodies don't match because you're different heights or different weights, that's okay. You do the best you can. So have them prop a bunch of pillows under their back. Get them up as much as possible. So then when you're straddling them, okay, so again, what you might have been envisioning is that you were on your knees straddling your partner. And you can do that. You can do that very well, but you're going to find that you'll probably increase your pleasure if you can actually get in primal stance. And primal stance 
chance. Again, I'm just going to throw this in here because again, our bodies are so powerful. We don't even know. Think about how children stand before they are taught how to bend over. Okay. They bend over from their knees instinctually until we ruin it for them and they start bending from their back at some point. So the reason I say that is because primal stance is good for our bodies. Uh, standing in primal stance, sitting in primal stance, and then having sex in primal stance because if you go back, one more one more connection I'm going to say is that women having babies on their back is actually not something that we're supposed to do. Our bodies are not built for that. You're supposed to work with gravity. Go look it up if you want to, but I truly believe that that's the truth of the matter, okay? And by the way, we can talk about that in another conversation because it could actually be pleasurable delivering babies if you do it the right way. So primal stance if you're having sex like that so basically now you're envisioning your partner is sitting upright in bed as most as they can you're still straddling their lap but you're actually on your feet and not on your knees some of you might not be able to do this because of your body weight because of just like maybe your boobs are too big your tummy's too big that's okay you figure it out as much as you can but I promise you're going to want to work up to this because again you have depth and penetration control this is obviously going to work really good if you have open communication with your partner so you can tell them grab my hips pull me close hold me tighter whatever it is but maybe you just need to figure it out maybe it's just fun homework for the first couple of sessions so you guys figure out your pleasure points and how you match up with each other but this is the powerful part about this okay so as your body goes through the arousal process we were just talking about as you become more aroused as blood flows around the vulva as it uh, goes around your labial lips and into the clitoris as well your vagina is going to start to do that tenting process so it's going to start to open for penetration but here's what's so cool and sexy so maybe you haven't penetrated yet you're just doing some teasing maybe you've done some foreplay you haven't done the penetration yet when you feel good like when you're naturally lubricated you're actually feeling maybe some physical pain like a lady blue balls as we like to call it if you were to be hovering around your partner maybe even just like kind of uh teasing the tip around the vaginal opening that's not different than using a a vibrator of course this is what's so powerful is that your body if you were close enough to your partner if you were so unbelievably aroused and maybe you were just teasing that uh, the penis right around that vaginal opening, your vagina will literally suck that penis in. When you're ready, when it feels good, it's going to suck that penis in. And generally we do that with, for, like, I don't want to say forced penetration, but we force the penetration from going through. The longer the wait, the better it's going to be. It's going to feel better. Your body's going to be more relaxed, uh, ready to receive, so on and so forth. But in my brain, I'm thinking that this is all about primal. This is all primal because I'm going to rope this back to the only lesson I ever learned about sex and bodies in middle school that I actually took with me. So we were watching, um, it was like seventh grade, we were watching a reproductive video. It was the class itself. The teacher was not great at giving us this information, um, but it was one of those where it, was pr- it wasn't graphic, but it was like the full thing, like from conception to birth. And the only thing, the only takeaway I should say that I remember from that class was they had an internal camera in a, a cervix and at the moment of um, ejaculation and orgasm, the body started to actually create like a vacuum. So the female body was sucking up the semen. And I remember that very vividly, not really understanding it, but just, I mean, because it was just weird and cool. Like nobody ever talked about the fact that I was like, why is the body doing that? How does it do that? There was really not a lot of explanation, but again, this was like 20 plus years ago. So we might not have known what I can tell you that I know in my heart to be true at this point that that was an orgasm because when the body orgasms, it contracts internally back and forth. You might've felt this, you might know this, you might not know this to be true, but the more you do self-pleasure, the more you do self-exploration, the more you intensify your orgasms, the more you tone into them, the more you accept that pleasure for yourself your muscles will get tighter they'll get stronger you'll be able to flex them so the fact that you have that ability is really powerful because in my opinion primarily speaking 
That is what's happening during orgasm is that it's pulling the semen as close as it can to the ova for penetration to actually have a baby. So whether or not we're actively trying to procreate, our bodies are going to, right? Whether we're trying to have a baby, whether we're on birth control, whether we're using condoms, our bodies are still going to do all the things that they're supposed to do. So the fact that contraction leads to, I always want to say fertility or penetration, but it's just birth. <laughs> it's just a life. It's just, it's, it's a sperm penetrating an, an ova and creating a baby. Okay. It's supposed to happen that way. It's supposed to happen that way. Our bodies are basically supposed to be contracting at the exact same time with the penis one to three inches inside the walls of one to three inches of the vaginal, the vaginal walls to steal that semen and send it to the egg. That's friggin' crazy cool. That's so crazy cool, okay? It's so crazy cool that we understand that we're supposed to do that. So in my opinion, pleasure is a part of the reproductive system. It just is. It just is part of it. It's part of, have you ever heard of um, masturbating during your uh, menstrual cycle for relieving the cramps and pains? Have you ever had a mind-blowing orgasm and you had no idea if you'd ever be able to achieve it again or even how it happened? Those are all the same things. They're all the same things that are happening. So this is just crazy cool to me that this is where we're coming to. This is where we're at. And um, here, this is literally, I'll, I'm going to, I'll leave you with my conspiracy theory. I don't know that it's really, I don't know that it's true, but, but I was trying to come up with the origin of like, so why circumcision then? If this is something that if we were to leave our bodies naturally intact and it might lead to more pleasure for not only the female, but just as well for the male, uh, this might, 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 it might increase the potential for people who are struggling to conceive. That is the word I was looking for, conception. I can't believe I couldn't think of that for like 45 minutes. Okay, so for people who might be struggling with infertility to understand logically how the bodies work in that pleasure and sex and orgasm, we know, we know, like we have been told, have fun, relax, have orgasms. But if we were to really understand why that's so important and how that works, where that might lead to and less pressure because our bodies are trying to do what they're naturally supposed to do. So all of this, like, how did we end up here, right? So um, circumcision, the history of it's kind of vague. It's kind of all over the place. But one of the ideas is that um, there is a biblical sense that God said to Abraham at some point that, you know, to be pure, to be prosperous. I don't know what the, I don't know what the catch was. He said that people needed to be circumcised by day eight of life. And that was something that um, is still incredibly prevalent in Judaism. So it's a bris is what the, uh, is what Jewish people call that. And it's still, I mean, I don't suspect that circumcision will wane anytime in the near future for, for uh, the Jewish community. I think it'll probably continue, but in Western culture where it has no religious affiliation, there's really no reason to do it. Um, but so in my, so in my brain, I'm going, okay, so God told somebody, so somebody interpreted a message from a higher power that said, you need to do this to have your best life possible. That person took that back to, Hey, Hey, we need to do this thing. But to me, it's just like, it's crazy. So somebody, in, in, by the way, if I was going to even insert my own stuff, by the way, and you don't have to take this, take it with a grain of salt because I am not religious, I'm just spiritual. I don't know that a God would ever interpret a message to somebody to say, you need to inflict harm upon yourself or physical torture to your body to get a point across. That's just my personal belief. So I don't understand how that message was received. And I, I'm, it's not to detract and it's not even to say that it didn't happen. It's just my personal belief is I don't understand why a God would say that to be prosperous, you need to do this, this particular type of thing, by the way. So my conspiracy theory is starting to lean into, was that real? It was it. I mean, I, I believe Abraham believed it was real, but was it real? And if, if not, is this potentially the fall into the patriarchy and the conspiracy that female pleasure is not valid, that it's not necessary? And the reason I say that is because as somebody who becomes 
more in tune with their sexuality, somebody who embraces it more, somebody who really obviously stands on a pedestal and preaches, have these orgasms, feel your body, get to know it or whatever. There's a lot of power in it. There's a lot of power in the freedom of it. There's a lot of power in the receiving of the pleasure that you didn't know that you were worthy of it, that you didn't even know your body was capable of making it solo or with a partner. There's a lot of power in that. And so I'm curious in my conspiracy theory, is it is it potentially possible is it really possible that, you know, I mean, yes, they could have gone down the route of female circumcision, but I don't know what happened with that or did not happen with that. Is it possible that they enacted this thing upon themselves, men in general, partners with a penis, people with a penis? I will detract my own pleasure so that I can repress, oppress the female entity that much. Because if she were to discover her higher power, if she was to discover her true innate pleasurability, if she was able to ascend into that divine femininity, then what would happen to the patriarchy? What would happen to this male dominated society? Because we tried the thing before and we didn't really like the fact that when we tried to, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really like cohabitating in power with women. We really like this thing that we have going on right here. So is this, this is another way to oppress women. And I know it's a conspiracy theory. I know it's kind of crazy and I know it's out there, but is there some potential truth to it by oppressing women in a certain way, shape or form? then they hold their power over us, but society in general. Um, I'm, I'm going to remind you gently, if you are a patriarchy supporter, okay, we ain't trying to steal it from you. We don't even want to run the world. We've seen what that takes, okay? We just want to cohabitate. We just want to intercept the fact that your toxic masculinity can be bypassed if you incorporate some femininity to it. We over here have been able to house both feminine and masculine traits, and we've seen the power of it. We're waiting for you to do it. So it's not to deter. It's not to say that people are crazy or mean or I'm maybe some are, but is that a potential? Is that a potential possibility? And what are we about to step into as we circumcise less and less men or we discover more about leaving our beautiful bodies the way that they are without boob implants, without Botox, without circumcisions, all of the things, you know, what will we be discovering? What will we be stepping into when we really reclaim our power and our orgasms when we fill in that gap and when that 97% starts to see the 67 coming up slow, slow and upcoming to next year maybe it's 68% and maybe next year after that it's 69% or maybe the stat changes and maybe it has nothing to do with completion of orgasm through two people maybe the new stat will be how satisfied are you how satisfied are you able to bring yourself to like I don't know what it's going to shape into but I just think that it's important that we're having the conversations I think it's important that we're planting the seeds I think it's important that we're detaching from any shame or sin or guilt when it comes to pleasure and sex and really having an open conversation about what it means to the world and why it needs to be a conversation and why it's important because it's not going anywhere it's the one thing that everybody's out there doing but nobody wants to talk about and that has changed drastically in the last 20 30 40 50 years and it's only going to continue but we're still really wrapping it into, into a taboo subject which is just crazy crazy weird to me why why it's a thing that gets us here it's, it's a way w women are quite literally a portal for human souls do you see how powerful that is do you see that we, it's yes we birth babies but nobody's talking about that you have something quite magical between your legs that literally manifests something from the other side to get here damn boo boo you powerful okay <laughs> you are powerful all right, so short, shorter, not, I was going to say short and sweet, shorter and sweeter today when it comes to this conversation. I really hope that you got something from it. I hope that it's got your wheels turning a little bit. I hope that it 
empowers you to go to get to know your body a little bit better. It empowers you to find different pleasure points. It empowers you to masturbate in different ways with different products and different partners. It empowers you to initiate sex or, you know, explore manual stimulation and oral and uh, mutual masturbation and anything and everything that you can to get yourself to a position that you feel comfortable have conversations the ones like I'm having right here on this platform. So I hope that it rings true for you. I hope in some way, shape or form, some way, shape or form. And if you got some value from this, please make sure to reach out to me. Let me know that you got some value. Make sure to share it with your girlfriends if you feel like they get some value as well. Whatever you feel like you might be able to do to get this conversation rolling. Um, I had a fantastic time today. I appreciate the venue, the avenue to be able to have these conversations. Um, You know, I, I did try to have this conversation with Tony last night and then I ended up giggling too much is that weird is that weird is that weird I just don't I I had the conversation about foreskin and circumcision and stuff I just did not have the conversation about my conspiracy theory because I was like I don't know if I'm ready to tell a guy that (laughs) okay not because I think my husband's part of the hatred because because I'm an insecure woman I don't freaking know but anyways let's have the conversation all right so uh thanks so much for being here I very much appreciate you I know that you already know how to get in touch with me I mentioned it all at the beginning of the podcast so we'll go ahead and wrap it up for today I really um am just validated by your presence I hope that you are getting a little bit of something from hanging out with me as well and that you'll stay tuned for next week for whatever we may or may not be talking about because I don't even know what's on the agenda, okay? So that's all I got for you today. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy this beautiful summer weather. Stay happy, stay healthy, and wash your hands. Bye-bye!